my podcast. I'm Dr. John Cook. I'm so glad you joined us today as we continue our series on Systematic Theology 2. This is part five of lesson number 30 on the doctrine of eschatology or the doctrine of last things. We are going to see in this part of our study what the Bible says about the sounding of six of the seven trumpets. We will see that these trumpets bring judgment upon those things that man worships in place of God. In a parenthesis to these trumpets, three woes are pronounced upon this earth. The first woe covers the supernatural creatures coming out of the bottomless pit. The second woe speaks to demonic armies that shall move across the Euphrates to attack Israel. We'll get into our study right after this. We see then the first trumpet sounding in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 7. It says, The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Imagine what a terrifying sight this is going to be. Seeing hail and fire mingled with smoke, destroying one-third of the trees and all green grass being burned up on this earth. This is a repetition of what is seen in the seventh Egyptian plague, only much worse. We see this in the book of Exodus. Look at Exodus chapter 9, verses 22 through 26. And let's see what the scripture says. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast, and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. So Israel at that time was spared from suffering this plague in Egypt. But Israel does not escape in this judgment of God when it falls. This will be a terrifying event, but there's more to come. And it seems to come one right on top of the other. For we read of the sounding of the second trumpet in verses 8 through 9 in chapter 8 says, and the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed, 
So this burning mountain destroys one-third part of the creatures in the seas, one-third part of the ships upon the sea. God is bringing judgment on that which man worships here, just like he did in Egypt when he brought judgment upon the Egyptian gods. Men often let going to the sea take the place of going in service to God. Beach time often is on Sunday, replacing church time. It's also obvious that this is a strike against men's pocketbooks, their monies, their possessions, their gains, all of which are gods to men in place of worshiping the true and living God, the one who created heaven and earth and all that in them is. Then we come to read of the third trumpet sounding in chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. It says, And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of that star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. When this trumpet sounds, this star called Wormwood falls to the earth and poisons the waters, causing the death of many men. Jeremiah talks about this in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 13 through 15. It says, And the Lord saith, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. This is God's judgment upon the wickedness of this world, and it seems, according to the scriptures, which we just read, to be particularly aimed at Israel, his people, because they fail to worship the one and only true and living God, the God of Jacob. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Do we really believe? Do we really realize what a poisonous effect it is in our, in our lives, in men's lives, to turn to idolatry from serving the true and living God? Do we stop to consider the poisonous effect there is in our lives when we turn to man's writings and ideas, allowing them to replace the Word of God? We may not, but God certainly does, and gives a perfect picture in the judgment that falls in the sounding of the third trumpet. Heed the warning. Look and live. Look to Jesus now and live, as the old hymn says. As we come to verse 12 of chapter 8, we see the sounding of the fourth trumpet. It says, The fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was spent, and the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the sun shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So, once again, 
God strikes the gods of this world. I say gods because men have chosen to worship the creation of God rather than worshiping the creator. In fact, man has gone so far as to say that God is not the creator, but man himself is the creator of God. What blasphemy. Imagine what a shock it will be when this event takes place and men see one-third of the stars, one-third of the day, one-third of the night are struck by the judgment of God. Jesus spoke of this in Luke chapter 21, verse 25 through 26, where he says, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. This event is so shocking that God says men's hearts will fail them when it's, they see it coming to pass. This brings us to a pause before the sounding of the fifth trumpet. That's in verse 13 of chapter 8. John tells us that he beholds and hears an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Notice, this angel pronounces three woes upon this earth. They are yet to come. Though some terrible events have taken place, and we've seen them upon the face of the earth. We saw them in the sounding of these trumpets already, and the opening of the seals before that. There's worse yet to come, far worse. An old preacher took this verse as his text and made the point of the message that when God says, Whoa, you better stop. But these aren't that smart. Now notice. As we read of the sounding of the fifth trumpet in Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, listen to what it says. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. This is an angel that is given the key of the bottomless pit. Some say, why does the scripture say that he is a star? Well, the answer to that is we make all sorts of men stars in our world. So God has stars that serve his purpose, and this is one of them. But what a terrifying purpose we find in the service of this star, this angel. For this angel is seen to open the bottomless pit. In verse 2 it says, and he opened the bottomless pit. And there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Out of the bottomless pit comes this smoke. And out of the smoke come locusts upon the earth. We soon see that these locusts are not natural, but supernatural. For the scripture goes on to describe them. It says, unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Their attack was not on vegetation, 
but on men. Men that did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. They were unleashed against the wicked, who loved not the Lord God, neither did worship him. So we see they certainly were not natural locusts. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. According to Bible Tools website's dictionary, scorpions are easily angered and attacked by stinging with their tails. That sting is a terrible thing to have to experience, they say. In some cases, death is known to follow their sting. But these locusts are not natural. They're not natural scorpions either. But again, they are like locusts with tails that sting like the scorpion. The torment of their sting, according to Revelation 9 and verse 5, causes men to seek death and they shall not find it. In fact, these locusts that come out of the pit are not allowed to kill, only to torment men. This reminds us that God controls even the supernatural creatures as well as the natural. This scripture goes on to tell us in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 6 that men shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. Imagine a man wanting to die because of the torment of that sting is so horrible. But God will not allow it. It's God who holds men's lives in his hand. And God alone determines the day of their death. The shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots, of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. So once again, we're told the power that God gives to these creatures. Creatures that we might see in some science fiction movie that Hollywood might produce. And their power was to hurt men five months. Far from being a short torment on the wicked, these have power to torment these men for five months. Verse 11 of chapter 9 shows us once more that these are not natural locusts. For they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Now in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 27, we're told the locusts have no king, yet go they forth all of them by bands. These creatures had a king. They had a king over them. His name is given in the Hebrew and Greek, Abaddon and Apollyon. Both names translate to mean destruction. Their only goal is destruction. No salvation here. Verse 12 closes this account of the destruction that is to fall upon the wicked 
at the sounding of the fifth trumpet, saying, One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Doesn't it seem that men would repent in order to not face the last two woes? But no, man is stubborn and desires only to continue in his wickedness. He doesn't desire repentance, nor does he desire redemption. No, the wicked just get more and more wicked, and they blaspheme the name of God. Then we come to the sounding of the sixth trumpet in Revelation. This we read about in verses 13 through 21 of chapter 9. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. These four angels are not identified specifically, but their release brings the armies of the east down into battle. Dr. Peter Ruckman, in his commentary on Revelation, points out that a fourth part of the earth has been killed in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 8, before this army even shows up. Let's look at this army as it is revealed. As we continue to work our way through chapter 9, verses 13 through 21, listen to what verse 16 tells us. The number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. And I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth and brimstone, and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions. Out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three were the third part of men killed, by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. Consider as we pause at verse 20, that these armies, like the locusts, are supernatural in their description. Their task is to kill one-third of the remaining world's population on the battlefields. These armies are satanic armies led by satanic kings, kings that come from the east over the Euphrates, which has been dried up for their passage on their way to Palestine to destroy Israel. They will leave in their wake the death of a third of three-quarters of the remaining three-quarters of the world's population. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 6, speaks of this day. It says, Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. Verse 20 through 21 tells us about those that survive. The rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not 
of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. The judgment of God on this world doesn't turn men from their wickedness, nor does it appear that repentance is its purpose. No, the judgment of the wicked has its purpose in that day. And the wicked repent not of their wickedness. The wicked in that day are described like those of Noah's day. The description that we read in Matthew chapter 24 verses 38 through 39. For as the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, life goes on as usual, even in the face of the second woe coming on the wicked. The lesson we see here then is that the wicked have no intentions of giving up their wickedness. Even when they suffer the judgment of God in their midst. Once more, we have now an interval between the sounding of the seventh trumpet. We see this as we read in Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. It says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. This angel is the angel of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that he is clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. Don't miss this. A rainbow is God's covenant of mercy and grace upon men. To see that, all you have to do is look where the bow came from in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 13, where God says, I do set my bow in the cloud. It's God's. And it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. The bow or rainbow came from God and appears in the clouds. It appears in the clouds when the rain comes. And it reminds God of his covenant. Where he says that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. That covenant was the promise that God would never destroy this world by a flood. Again, that's God's covenant of mercy and grace upon every living creature on the earth. It is astonishing to think that that which is a covenant of grace has been adopted by those that reject the grace of God, choosing rather to flaunt their wickedness without shame in this world. The scripture goes on to tell us that his face was as it were the sun. Matthew 17, verse 2 tells us that this is the face of Jesus in his glory. It says that when Jesus was transfigured before them, his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. Now we go back to our scripture and read his feet as pillars of fire. We see this description of his feet 
is found in a part of what John sees when he sees the Savior in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 15, where he says, His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. Then he goes on to say, His voice as the sound of many waters. Again, John's vision of the Savior back in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 15 says his voice is the sound of the waters, of many waters. His voice is the sound of many waters. Then in verse 2, John says, And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. See here again, the lion of the tribe of Judah comes into the picture, cries out. The end of verse 3 says, And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now what is it that these seven thunders say? Well, Revelation chapter 10 and verse 4 says, And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, John says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. So what did these seven thunders say? Our answer has to be, I have no idea. God doesn't allow us to know. You see, God reveals what he wants us to know, and doesn't reveal what he does not want us to know. What he does not want us to know, he conceals. By moving on then to the known, we turn to Revelation chapter 10 and verse 5, which tells us that the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein. This angel swears by God, the creator of all, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. The angel proclaims the closing up of time in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel. Now, Having heard the mighty angel's words, John is told in Revelation 10 and verse 8 to go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. So John immediately goes to the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. The angel holding the little book says to John, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. John then took the little book out of the angel's hand, ate it up, and it was in his mouth, he says, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Then John is told in verse 11, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So John knows that his work on earth is not finished. He still has days of ministry ahead 
to fulfill. So what we see here is that at some point before the end of the tribulation, Jesus will appear, manifesting himself to Israel, and Israel would be born in a day just as Saul of Tarsus was born as one out of due season. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 8, Saul of Tarsus was converted by a direct appearance of the Savior on the road to Damascus. So Israel will be converted as a nation by the direct appearance of the Savior at some point before the end of the tribulation. Ezekiel talks about this in chapter 43 and verse 2. It says, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. And then in Psalms chapter 50 and verse 2, the psalmist says, Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. It is a certainty that the Lord Jesus Christ will make an appearance to Israel. And they will be converted by seeing him, just like Saul of Tarsus saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. They will see Jesus as he makes an appearance to the nation of Israel. Now, what this little book that John is told to eat is not identified for us in Scripture. So when asked what that book is, all I can say is I have no idea, nor does anyone else. Some books claim that the sea that is mentioned here is the Mediterranean Sea, and the land is Palestine, the land given by God to Israel. The angel's message is that in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, God is going to wind it all up. So what have we seen? We have seen the sounding of six of the seven trumpets. We've also seen the three woes that are pronounced on the inhabitants of the earth. We've seen supernatural creatures come up out of the bottomless pit. And God attacks nature, which men worship in place of God. All of this is a warning to be prepared that we be not lost in that day. Are you prepared? If not, get saved today. Until next time, God bless. This is John Cook again. I want to thank you for joining us in this podcast. I encourage you to join us in the next podcast as we continue our series on Systematic Theology 2. Hey, while you're here, why don't you click that subscribe button and follow us, and you'll be notified just as soon as another podcast is released. Appreciate it. God bless.